Well, good morning. Man, John, phenomenal job. Worship team, everybody. Britt, Adam, man, just great job, man. I just love coming to church here. I hope you enjoyed as much as I do. I just love coming to church here. Awesome time this morning. Well, we are starting a new series called Guardrails. And for those English majors among us, I know I frustrate you. I've, I've got an earned doctorate, and I still can't even spell my last name. I'm working on it hard. Um, but just to kind of give you a heads up, those of you that are English majors and those get frustrated by spelling mistakes, which I really work hard. I try hard. I work hard with my memory, but I still don't do well. Um, the word guardrail can be spelled with one word, guardrail, or it can be spelled with two words, guardrail, guardrail, okay? So we're going to do it both ways today just to frustrate you, okay? So, but we are starting this new series talk called Guardrails, and, and when you hear the word guardrail, what, what do you think of? What's, what's a guardrail? Highway. It's a highway? Barrier? Okay, yeah, it's that rail thing, you know, it's that thingamajig you see all the time. And it's amazing, I knew I was going to do this series, all of a sudden I began to see that they, they truly are everywhere. They're all around us, you know. Uh, they, they get little or no intention unless we hit one, you know. Then we notice, oh, that was that guardrail thing, right? Guardrails. Uh, to me, it's kind of like that rail that guards us. They guard us from destruction. They guard us from harming ourselves or harming others. Guardrail. Now, a technical definition is this. A guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. All right? So basically, they're there to protect us. They're there to help us. They're there to guide us. They're there to help save our lives. They're there to keep us from harming and hurting somebody else. Guardrails are good things, and we need guardrails in our lives, don't we? Just the other day, when I was coming back from college, and I was in my, I was 18 at the time, and I was driving my 1972 Chevelle, 350, four-speed, phenomenal car. I miss that car. Great car, you know. Had my Jensen sound speaker, but we won't go there. And I would drive from Memphis uh, all the way to North Palm Beach when I was going to college. Took about 15 or 16 hours if you didn't get caught, um, to be truthful. Um, and, uh, and I remember one time I was on my, uh, I was on my way up to Memphis from, uh, from, from, uh, from home in North Palm Beach, Florida. And I noticed at first, it kind of was really unnoticeable to me at first, um, I began to kind of lose traction as I was driving over bridges. And the steering seemed a little different. It was just kind of like too easy and a little kind of like unresponsive. And, and then I realized something was definitely wrong when I went over the next bridge and I literally did a 360 in the middle of a two-lane road, you know. And so then, you know what I did? I turned off my cassette player. Now, some of you don't even know what those are. I, I turned off, I ejected my cassette player, and I found a radio station, and they said, sure enough, that there was ice on the bridges, and that it was going to get worse, and sleet, and possible snow was uh, coming my way, and I was a Florida boy, and this was kind of like new to me, you know, but to be honest with you, and, I, you know, and I'm not encouraging you to do this, but my initial response was, cool, you know? I mean, I was a drag racer and a car enthusiast, and, and I thought, wow, let's just see how fast I can go, you know, and maintain control. You saw a picture of me and my dragster there, yes, back when I was 18 and back when I had hair. Um, and uh, so I just, you know, thought, started having fun, you know, 
just driving a little out of control and see how fast I could go and maintain control. And then I came upon a family station wagon that had gone off the road into the ditch. And as I came by, the car was literally, half the car was protruding up, straight up in the air. And the family was getting out of the station wagon. And thankfully, uh, no one was hurt. Uh, But then I realized, I quickly learned the seriousness of being out of control. Driving down an icy road without guardrails. I could have gotten hurt. Worse yet, I could have hurt my Chevelle, you know, or I could have hurt someone else. You see, we all in one way or another have experienced that awful feeling of losing control or being out of control. Maybe there was a time in your life or maybe it's right now in your life where you kind of lost control financially. You were buying things you couldn't afford with money you didn't have and you were kind of like out of control and you were losing control and that, that awful feeling when you realize you're really upside down and you're in a mess, you know? Or maybe you kind of lost control sexually or maybe it was addictions, maybe it was drugs, or maybe it was alcohol, or, or maybe it was the friends that you were choosing to hang out with. Or maybe it was your marriage. And in your marriage, you kind of just, it, you got out of control. It got out of control. And you know that anxious feeling of, of, of losing something. Or maybe you have a, a teenager that's out of control. You know, and you love that child, you love that little girl, you love that little boy, but man, they're out of control. That's an awful feeling when you realize that you are losing control or that you've lost control. I'd like you to take a second and think of one or two of the greatest regrets in your life. And we don't try to be negative around here all the time, but I'd like for you just to think about your greatest regret in life. Does it come to mind? Have you ever thought that your greatest regret could have been avoided if you had some better guardrails in your life? You see, guardrails help to protect us and they help to direct our lives. They help to protect us and they help to direct our lives. Can we say that together? Guardrails help to protect and direct our lives. Now, say that together means that we all say it together. And to help those of you like me that have learning disabilities, let's use our hand gestures, okay? So can you join me in doing this? Guardrails help to protect and direct our lives. Now, some of you aren't doing it, so we're going to have to do it again. All right, you ready? You want everybody. Guardrails help to protect and direct our lives. Some of you still are not doing it. One more time. We're all going to do this together. We want you to learn this and walk away with guardrails, God's guardrails, all right? God's guardrails are to help, to protect us, and to direct our lives. Peter, my buddy Peter, he's the chief of the fire department. He's all about protection and direction. Guardrails help to protect and to direct. Thank you, Pete, our lives. All right, very good, very good. And you see, God is the greatest guardrail of all. He wants to bring order and balance and harmony and synergy and joy to our lives. We've been created in the image of an orderly creator. I mean, look at creation. Look at the sequence of the seasons. 
Look at the, the faithfulness and the regularity of the sunrise. Look at the symmetry of the human body or the heavenly bodies. You know, for thousands of years, people actually were able to move all around the globe because of the natural order of the heavenly bodies. They could get from this place to that place by the stars. We are made in the image of an orderly creator. So it's very natural for us to desire balance, harmony in our lives. And God being the good God that he is, God being this God of order, God being this God that wants joy and symmetry and purpose, God being this good God that wants to help me and help you stay out of the ditch. God gave us some guardrails. He gave us his book, the Bible, to help to protect our lives and to help to direct our lives. He gave us his book that contains principles and, and rules and regulations and laws, guardrails, to help us to live a well-ordered life. He knew that we could never truly enjoy life if our lives are spinning out of control, if we're sliding down the road, out of control, heading for a ditch. So he gave us some guardrails to help what? Protect and direct our lives. Now, he gave us these guardrails. And the whole purpose of today's message is for you to choose to take his guardrails and to make them your guardrails. You see, it's real easy to say, you know, I believe that or I believe that in my head. And we have these values or these, these uh, guardrails, but they're not personal. We're talking about deep moral convictions, personal standards to help protect and direct our lives. These guardrails need to become a matter of, of conscience, a matter of choice for you personally, or they will not protect you and they will not direct you. They've got to come your guardrails, not just God's guardrails. They've got to become your guardrails. And today I want us to look at a, a story back in the Old Testament, one of my favorite biblical characters, a guy by the name of Daniel. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn over to Daniel chapter 1, or you've got the a passage right there in front of you in your, in your, in your notes. And uh, Daniel, back in Daniel chapter 1, it was about 600 years before Christ when uh, Daniel lived. And in this passage we're going to look at this morning are two guardrails that if we can establish personally those guardrails in our lives, they will protect us and they will direct our lives. Now let me give you the backdrop to Daniel's story here. Daniel uh, lived back during the time of King Nebuchadnezzar and who was the king of Babylon, very good, which is modern day Iraq. And Saddam Hussein wanted to be the next Nebuchadnezzar. Matter of fact, he tried to model and style himself after Nebuchadnezzar. It didn't turn out too good for Saddam Hussein, but that was his kind of his motif, his desire. And Nebuchadnezzar was really a brilliant leader. He was like before his day in his, in his military style and his thinking and what he wanted to do. And he decided he wanted to conquer uh, Judah, Israel. And he wanted to conquer and accomplish and, and, and uh, uh, attack their capital city called Jerusalem. So back in 605 B.C., he besieges Jerusalem. 
And he had this incredible strategy. Back in those days, often, you know, when kings go to war, they would just go to war and they would just massacre. They would just kill everybody. That or they'd make everyone their slaves. But Nebuchadnezzar had a different plan. He had a different idea. He told his generals. He told his political leaders. He gave them very clear instruction to, to go into the city and direct and protect the royal family and their wise men. Save and protect the best and the brightest because the royal family often was the most educated. They were the ones that more likely had their teeth still. You know, they, they, would, they had education. They had better food. They were better taken care of. And so he began the business of importing people, importing the prettiest and the smartest people back to his city, Babylon. And then he would take them and he'd put them through this training program in which he would slowly strip away their values and their culture and replace it with his own. I mean, he was brilliant. He'd go into the city, take the best and the brightest and the gold, and he'd bring them safely back to the capital city, Babylon. All right? So here's Nebuchadnezzar, sends his troops, they go down to Jerusalem, and they're bringing back Four guys that I just love these guys. If you kind of grew up in catechism or grew up going to church in Sunday school, they talked about these four guys all the time. They were modeled for us bad little boys um, to learn from their example. You know who I'm talking about? The first one was Daniel. And then what were the other three guys' names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Try to say that. Never said it before. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they go down to Jerusalem, they besiege the city, and they take these four guys back to the capital, Babylon. All right, you understand what's happening here? Let's pick up reading in Daniel chapter 1. Let's begin reading with verse 1. In the third year, the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Aspenaz. Isn't that a cool name? Aspenaz. Or Aspenaz, I guess is how you should say it. His chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. Can you imagine that? You can eat what the king eats. I mean, the best of the best, you know? Awesome. And the wine that he drank the best wine. You know, this is a pretty good deal. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. So basically, these guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were getting a three-year, all-expense-paid master program. Uh, they were moving to Jerusalem, to Babylon, and they were going to get three years of training at the king's palace. I mean, can you imagine that? I bet you some of these guys, they were high-fiving each other. Said, you know, we thought we we're going to die in the desert. We're going to get to hang out in the palace with all the babes, you know. And, and, and we're going to get to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine. So you see what's happening here? 
And then they're going to eat and live and learn for three years. And then after three years, they're going to give an, an oral exam. And the best and the brightest would get to go to work for the king. Incredible plan. He was very successful with it. But Daniel, who also was very smart, saw through the whole plan and could see their end game. He realized what was about to happen. You see, after they shaved his head and pierced his ear, gave him a new set of clothes, they changed his name from Daniel to Belshazzar. He was named after a a Babylonian god. So Daniel began to realize what was going to happen. That slowly, 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 they're going to try to remove his guardrails, his moral convictions, his beliefs and his values. So no longer would he be serving the God of Israel, Jehovah. He would be serving Nebuchadnezzar and the God of the Babylonians. And Daniel recognized something that most of us never see, that if we don't have clear, precise guardrails in our life, over time, culture will erode them away. And that is precisely what's happening right now in our American culture and on a whole host of issues. Today, often in our country, it seems like there really isn't any wrong or or right anymore. It's kind of situational ethics. What's wrong for you might not be wrong for me or wrong for him. You know, we've we've kind of lost our, our moral compass. And as a result of losing our moral compass, lives are spinning out of control. Good people are ending up in the ditch, in the ditch in their marriage in the ditch with their finances, in the ditch with their jobs or with their relationships because slowly, slowly, slowly they have removed their guardrails, their moral and their spiritual convictions. Daniel saw this. They changed my clothes. They changed my name. They changed my habits. They're removing my my guardrails. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to wake up one day losing everything that's near and dear to me. I'm going to lose my life and I'm going to lose my faith. So let me share two guardrails this morning that can help you to help that not to happen in your life like it didn't happen in Daniel's life. Guardrail number one. I decide ahead of time to always do the right thing. I decide what? Ahead of time to always do the right thing. Can we say that together? I decide ahead of time to always do the right thing. Look at verse 8. But Daniel, what's the word? Resolved. Daniel resolved. Daniel determined. Daniel made up his mind. Daniel drew a line in the sand. Daniel had a guardrail. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. Now, why did Daniel resolve in his heart not to eat the king's food or drink the king's wine? 
Some people feel it was because uh, the food that the king often ate would first be offered to their idols. And so for Daniel to eat it, he would be acknowledging their idols. He'd be putting his, his faith and trust in their idols. Others feel as well that Daniel was Jewish and being Jewish, he was following the Mosaic law, the teachings of Moses and the very strict dietary laws. And this was in violation of those laws. And so Daniel... He decided, you can push me and push me and push me, but this is about as far as I go. He resolved in his heart to do the right thing. You know what's so cool about this story? Most of us kind of know the ending, how things turned out. And you can go home and read it today if you haven't before, and you can find out things turned out pretty well for Daniel. He passed a test, and he got to be in the king's court. And then because of Daniel doing the right thing, he eventually comes and becomes a very prominent world leader with Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, archaeology, other things have, have proven that, not just the Bible. I mean, this story has been documented in, in, uh, in history. Um, and Daniel did all that, not knowing the outcome. I mean, we, we know the outcome, right? We know how the story ends. But there were some guardrails in Daniel's life that kept him on the right path, heading in the right direction. Daniel made up his mind to always do the right thing, and he hasn't read the book of Daniel. Huh. You know, we have the book of Daniel. He didn't have the book of Daniel. And get this, remember, he's what? He, he's a teenager. He's 18 or 19. He's away from his surroundings, kind of like going off to college. He's a freshman, his freshman year. He's around some very powerful men and women, professors. You know, you're supposed to listen to your professors, right? You know, but he chooses to do the right thing and apparently was willing to die for it. That's what I call a guardrail. A moral imperative, a spiritual conviction, a personal standard of behavior that protects and directs our lives. A guardrail. Now, you see, in our culture, we have uh, what people would kind of say are guardrails or values that direct our lives today in our American culture. But most of those guardrails today, are, are they would call them guardrails, to me, they're kind of very weak um, Take, for instance, most of us, we're going to spend the day today doing what? Watching football, you know, and watch Baltimore win. It's going to be a great day. And, um, and as we watch football, we're going to see those beer commercials. And uh, when it comes to alcohol, I think we see kind of a, a guardrail that we have in our culture. And every beer commercial, somewhere in there, they all usually end the same way. And they have a little statement that comes on at the end. After they try to get you to drink their product, they say, do what? Drink that's right. You, you bought into it. You got it down. Drink responsibly. They're doing a good job. And everybody agrees that we should not drink irresponsibly, right? Right? I mean, we, I think we all agree on that, that we should drink responsibly. Not quite sure what that looks like, um, but once you kind of get close to irresponsibility, it's kind of like, like, who cares, you know? It's just kind of like the nature of alcohol. And I'm sure maybe you've been there before. You're having a glass of wine with your spouse, you know, and maybe it's one glass, comes two glasses, then it's the whole bottle, then maybe two bottles, you know. And, and then you say to your spouse, honey, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think we're drinking responsibly, but I don't care, you know? That's kind of the nature of alcohol. Now, drinking responsibly is not a bad idea. 
I just don't think it's a riverbank. I just don't think it's a guardrail. I don't think it's a deep moral conviction that helps to protect and direct your life. You see, we need to decide ahead of time to always do the right thing. Now, the right thing for me, my, my personal moral conviction there is, is to not drink, to not drink at all. That's my conviction. Um, maybe your conviction is only to drink one glass of wine or, or two beers a night, whatever. But my point is this. You need to decide ahead of time. You need to resolve in your heart to do the right thing. You need a guardrail or you might end up drinking too much and violating God's clear teaching about avoiding debauchery and drunkenness. I mean, that's very clear in Scripture. God has a very clear guardrail there. And you need to decide ahead of time what you're going to do. All right, now another guardrail in today's culture. Um, often those of us who, very few of us that won't be watching football today, uh, but, but those who are not watching football today, and you watch a lot of those, um, what they call sitcoms on TV, often when it comes to sex, we have this value that comes out in our culture today. You know what value I'm talking about? Often they'll say, what? Don't have sex until you're ready. Heard that, right? Don't have sex until you're ready. You see that? And that's a nice statement, but I don't think it's a, a guardrail. You know, it's, it's not a deep, moral, spiritual conviction. And I'm not quite sure how that conversation goes. You know, don't have sex until you're ready. It's kind of like, are you ready? Well, I'm not sure. Are you ready? Well, I, you know, I think I'm ready. I, I think I was born ready, you know. <laughs> um, well, are, are you ready? Well, you know, maybe, you know. And Well, will you be ready in a, a week or two? Well, why don't we just put it on the calendar? That way we'll know you're ready, and we're ready, right? I mean, you know, don't have sex until you're ready. That's a nice statement, but it's not a guardrail. It's not a personal conviction. And I've shared with you before, when that guardrail the, or that statement or the, or the biblical statement that we're not supposed to have sex outside of the confines of marriage Period. That's kind of like God's guardrail when it comes to that. Very clear. Sex is only supposed to happen between a husband and a wife. Period. Um, and I remember explicitly when that became a guardrail in my life. It wasn't just something I believed in my head or believed out there. It's something that became a personal conviction of mine that has protected my life and has directed my life. And I've shared that story before. There was a couple in the church, this is years and years ago, there was another church when I was in Memphis, and they were having some problems. And I was at the office late on Thursday night working on my message, and all of a sudden I saw him coming up in his truck, and he, he walked into my office with a gun, and, um, and he was in distraught. He wasn't there to harm or hurt me at all. And I, I, I took the gun, and I sat down with him. Matter of fact, he just collapsed in my arms. He just saw his wife on their couch uh, with a friend of his having sex. And he was just, he had a gun because he was going to go back and kill them. And he came by and saw me first. And then he just was, you know, just distraught. I've never seen someone so hurt, so violated. Um, and I sat down with him. And a little while later, his wife 
because he walked in on them. Now she shows up and she's in my office. And then her parents down the street, they show up and they're in my office. And that night I saw all the pain that sex outside of the boundaries of marriage can create. And I resolved that night in my heart to always do the right thing by my wife. To always do the right thing by my God. To always do the right thing by myself. And that decision, that guardrail that I chose that became a part of my life has protected me and has directed my life in a powerful way. But that guardrail became personal. It wasn't just something I believed out here. It's something I believed in here. And because I believed it in here, it has protected me and it has directed my life. Or how about another cultural saying that we often say today when it comes to debt, when it comes to money, often the advice today that we often hear is consolidate your debt, right? Like really? Consolidate your debt. Now that might be good advice again, but that's not a guardrail. How about avoid personal debt like the plague. You know, that's a guardrail. Or avoid personal debt at all costs. Or, or run from debt. Or never ever use your credit card if you can't pay for it later. You see, again, we need to make these decisions now. We need to make these decisions ahead of time. Not in the heat of the moment when you're out shopping, you know. Not when you're standing on the floor at the Harley-Davidson dealer and the salesman says, hey, man, you can take that beautiful, you can ride it home today. Right now, it's yours. Just 72 easy payments. And I'm thinking, since they're so easy, I'll let you make those 72 easy payments. Guardrails. We need some guardrails to protect us and to help us from harming ourselves and, and harming those that we love. We need to decide ahead of time to always do the right thing. Guardrails, they protect us from harming ourselves and harming others, and they also direct us. Proverbs 11.3 says this, The integrity of the who? Of the upright guides them. Man, your integrity, your guardrails, what you've established in your heart that you're going to live by, they guide your life. But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Let's go back to our story in Daniel chapter 1, and let's pick up guardrail number 2. Guardrail number 2 is this. We need to create space for God to work in our lives. Can we say that together? We need to create space for God to work in our lives. Daniel 1.9 begins with this phrase. Now, now, now God. Now God. You see, God will use guardrails not only to protect you, but to direct you. Daniel created space for God to go to work in his life. By choosing to do the right thing, Daniel made the decision to do right. And he created space for God to go to work in his life. And God used this to totally redirect his entire life. If Daniel had made this decision, we wouldn't be reading this story right now. 
There'd be no book in the Bible called Daniel. There would be 65 books, not 66 books. The fact Daniel said, I am going to do the right thing. And God said, Daniel, you making that decision, you having that moral imperative, you having that guardrail in your life, as a result of that decision, you're creating space for me to go to work in your life. God said, this is a defining moment in your life. And I'm going to direct your future because you are choosing to honor me. And when you choose to honor me, when you choose to put me first, man, I put you first. And I'm involved in your life and I bless your life because you have chosen, Daniel, to do the right thing. You know, and I've seen God just showing up again and again in my life. And I had the resolve to do the right thing. And when I've chosen to do the right thing, I have created space for God to go to work in my life. And it's awesome because God shows up and he works in incredible ways. And the same thing, many of you could stand right now and share from your own experience. I was visiting with someone in our church this past week. They just lost their father. And it was so neat to hear her story and hear how so many times in her life that she was at a crossroad and she resolved to do the right thing. Even when she couldn't do it, she resolved to do the right thing. And as a result of those decisions, God came through and God blessed and God worked in her life. And so many of you could say the same thing. That there's been places in your life where you tempted to do the wrong thing and you made the choice to do the right thing. And as a result of that, God has used that to redirect and to totally change your life. It becomes a defining moment. Matter of fact, in most of your spiritual lives, you would probably think of a defining moment in your life where you made a choice like that. When you said, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to put God first. I'm going to step out in faith. And those have become guardrails. Those have become pillars in your life in which now God can work in your life and he can totally redirect your life. Now the question this morning is, do you have the resolve to do that? Do you have the courage this morning to do that? See, some of you have no idea what hangs in the balance. Right now in your life, the decisions that are facing you right now, God wants you to choose to do the right thing right now. And when you do the right thing, you begin to create space for God to go to work in your life. You know, for me, creating space for God to go to work in my life is is me getting up every morning while it's dark and getting my Bible out and reading my Bible. Because, you know, when I, when I take the Bible every morning, I read it, you know what I'm doing? The culture is slowly, slowly trying to pull me this way. And I get up every morning and I read the Scriptures and it pulls me back. It pulls me back to the truth. It pulls me back to the choices I need to make and how I need to live. Now, for you, maybe it's, you know, you need to get up and read reflect maybe for you it's you need to prioritize worship I mean life is busy let's be honest I realize that and the kids and the demands of life but some of you right now you know if you really want to create space for God to go to work in your life you need to say coming to worship is a guardrail it's something I'm gonna do everything I possibly can to prioritize in my life 
because I want God to go to work in my life. So, so I'm going to create space for God to work by, by coming to church. And when you worship, you kind of recalibrate your soul with God. When you sing to God and worship God and experience life, it brings you back to God's guardrails, God's purpose, God's plan, God's will for your life. Maybe for some of you, you need to make a commitment. It needs to become a guardrail in your life that you're not going to do life alone, that you're going to get involved in a group, that you're going to do life in community, that you're not going to be a lone ranger, you're not going to be a lone runner, that you're going to take the time and make the time on your busy schedule to value people, value relationships, and get together and create space so God can go to work in your life. Some of you, you have no idea what hangs in the balance right now. God's just waiting for you to step forward and to say, God, I'm all in. I resolve in my heart and my life to do the right thing. And you see, remember here, Daniel was 18 or 19 years old. He was a kid. He had no idea what hung in the balance. But because he resolved to do the right thing, God not only protected him, but redirected his entire life. Look at verse 9. Let's read the rest of the verse. Now God has caused the official to show, what's the word? Favor. God went to work. God created an environment. He showed favor and compassion to Daniel. Let me ask you something this morning. Do you want God's favor in your life? Do you want God's favor? Do you want God's best? Do you want God's purpose? If you want God's favor, then you've got to choose to go to work and create space in your life for God to work, for God to show up. You've got to resolve in your heart to always do the right thing. And then you'll be amazed on how God will come through in your life as you choose to honor God as God and put Him first. And create space in your life for God to work. God will work. God will show up. God will do incredible things in your life. He's just waiting for you to take his guardrails and make them yours. Can we bow our heads in prayer?